Our reading of Rumi's poem, Tending Two Shops, contains this line. Live in the nowhere that you came from, even though you have an address here. To me, it's pretty clear he's suggesting what mystics and sages of every age and place have always recognized, that human beings live in two worlds at once, or at least have the potential to. The everyday world of secular reality and the spiritual world of a transcendent or sacred reality. And in their introduction to the book I mentioned earlier, Open Secret, translator uh, collaborators John Moyne and Coleman Barks say that Rumi's odes and quatrains found there are, quote, the personal human records of a man being given a sharp, clear consciousness of the divine and enduring it. Now, we might think that the notion of needing to endure this is odd, wouldn't any sincere spiritual seeker desire to be gifted with a sharp, clear consciousness of the divine? Sure, to a point, but folks who've experienced some of this report that it's like a huge electrical line and too much voltage can zap you. And in a different poem, Rumi tells us there's another kind of endurance needed the patience and fortitude to somehow integrate that hugely expanded spiritual consciousness into the daily round of the material world. That is, to try to figure out how to live decently at this address when you've directly experienced the nowhere that you came from. And also, how to be when you don't feel so plugged in. In that poem, he refers to this sacred nowhere as some other tavern and likens his lack of clarity about how to live here until he returns there to being a befuddled drunkard. So echoing the same questions we sang earlier in Where Do We Come From, here is Who Says Words With My Mouth? All day I think about it, then at night I say it. Where did I come from? And what am I supposed to be doing? I have no idea. My soul is from elsewhere, I'm sure of that, and I intend to end up there. This drunkenness began in some other tavern. When I get back around to that place, I'll be completely sober. Meanwhile, I'm like a bird from another continent sitting in this aviary. The day is coming when I fly off, but who is it now in my ear who hears my voice? Who says words with my mouth? Who looks out with my eyes? What is the soul? I cannot stop asking. If I could taste one sip of an answer, I could break out of this prison for drunks. I didn't come here of my own accord, and I can't leave that way. Whoever brought me here will have to take me home. This poetry, I never know what I'm going to say. I don't plan it. When I'm outside the saying of it, I get very quiet and rarely speak at all. Notice, though Rumi grumbles a bit, I didn't come here of my own accord and I can't leave that way, mostly he gets very quiet. And though it's a tale for another day, there's a parallel in a story from the Hebrew Bible when a man named Job has been cursing God for all his worldly troubles. But when God finally speaks to him, Job quickly clamps his hand over his mouth. 
And in my view, it's because both men are utterly humbled by the magnitude of the divine reality they're experiencing and fall silent in the face of it. Rumi expresses this in another piece and proposes that this reality transcends even our notions of good and evil. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase, each other, doesn't make any sense. Apparently in that place, the fullness and unity of the world is complete. But of course, we know that despite this, most of us spend the bulk of our lives tending our material shops at this earthly address, where there are still fields, but also copious cow pies that we can't always sidestep. And despite Rumi's own frustration over his lack of clarity, as I just shared, what am I supposed to be doing? I have no idea. He also has the conviction that my soul is from elsewhere. I'm sure of that. And in another writing, he offers some counsel on how to begin integrating our soul and our regular lives. There is a voice that doesn't use words. Listen. This is reminiscent of the still small voice phrase you may have heard, that inner soul whisper, a sacred intuition or awareness or prodding that if listened too closely might guide our next step toward our greater spiritual unfolding. I'll add that sometimes that voice can come from outside in the form of what the great Swiss psychologist Carl Jung called synchronicity. We might hear or witness something at a particularly vital moment or find that events in our lives seem to be lining up in remarkable ways. And if we're doing that soul level listening, we may get a very clear sense that it's not merely coincidental, but that, hey, our soul, our spirit self, the divine, might be trying to get our attention. There is a voice that doesn't use words. Listen. And Rumi has further advice about walking the soul's path in this world. Here's an abridged excerpt from his piece entitled, The Question. God's presence is there in front of me, a fire on the left, a lovely stream on the right. One group walks toward the fire, into the fire, another toward the sweet flowing water. No one knows which is blessed and which not. Whoever walks into the fire suddenly appears in the stream. A head goes under on the water's surface, that head pokes out of the fire. Most people guard against going into the fire, and so end up in it. Those who love the water of pleasure and make it their devotion are cheated with this reversal. The trickery goes further. The voice of the fire tells the truth, saying, I am not fire, I am fountainhead. Come into me and don't mind the sparks. To these eyes you have now, what looks like water burns. 
what looks like fire is a great relief to be inside. What? What? Actually, it's pretty clear, though not necessarily on first listen. What Rumi is saying is, watch out. Spiritual irony can be a hard teacher. Most people guard against going into the fire and so end up in it. Ouch. And when he refers to these eyes you have now, he's talking about our inner eyes that have awakened. So when we've gained enough spiritual insight and understanding, we see that if we wade into what looks like soothing water to try to avoid our pain or cool our inner conflicts or evade our soul's highest calling by dousing our creative fire and settling for mere pleasure-seeking, we end up being burned by the flames of spiritual and emotional emptiness, of alienation from our deep self and thus inevitably from others, fires of guilt and remorse of cheating ourselves and the world out of the music our soul came here to sing. And these same awakened eyes come to the profound paradoxical realization that if we instead heed the call of the voice in the fire that tells the truth, saying, I am not fire, I am fountainhead. If we allow the necessary discomfort of honoring our creative soul sparks and devote ourselves to bringing forth what we can from them, we will know that what looks like fire is a great relief to be inside. This isn't to suggest it's always easy to trust our soul fire and where it might lead us and what it might demand of us. Yet to borrow the title of a pop song, pop song by James Blunt, bravely developing a bonfire heart is both life-giving, healing, and necessary especially at this historical moment. Some of you know your soul's most bountiful path or paths, but if that's not yet clear or if you just need a boost, Rumi offers abundant one-line encouragements. A secret freedom opens through a crevice you can barely see. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. As you start to walk out on the way, the way appears. On that way, we'll likely make some mistakes and probably learn some uncomfortable things about ourselves. Yet even here, Rumi cheers us on. If you are irritated by every rub, how will you be polished? And our opening song, based on a Rumi poem, Come, Come, Whoever You Are, omits the line that acknowledges the times we do head for the familiar waters of temporal comfort instead of striding into the soul fire that brings true relief. And then it tells us what to do. Even if you have broken your vow a thousand times, come, yet again, come. Because whatever your gifts may be at your given stage of life, this hurting world needs you to persevere in giving them to the best of your ability, 
Even if you have broken your vow a thousand times, come, yet again, come. Lastly, a final Rumi poem speaks beautifully about the spiritual wakefulness we've been exploring. Like his earlier metaphor of two shops, it underscores the importance of connecting to both worlds that we humans inhabit, the mundane and the sacred. And like all the sage advice he's already offered, I heartily suggest we heed this too. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where the two worlds touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. In the spirit of all that is sacred and with gratitude to one of the great awakeners, blessed be and amen.